0: Welcome to LedgerCast. My name is Brian Krogsgaard, and today I'm talking to Bob Reed. He's the CEO and founder of EverID. EverID is not just an ID play. They uh, actually are doing much more than that. I find this one really interesting because uh, their project is really aimed at uh, bringing uh, opportunity is what they say, uh, unlocking opportunity via identity, but that's uh, payments, it's an identity solution, it's wallets, it's all sorts of stuff. They have a really interesting solution using biometrics, so a combination of fingerprints and uh, face ID um, that's got a lot of neat technology behind it. This is an early stage project. They've built it, but uh, they are in the process of taking that next step. Um, I met Bob at uh, a conference in Washington, D.C., so that's where we talk. However, uh, a member of their team is someone that I know, and that's how I got interested in the project. I hope you enjoy this. This episode is brought to you by The Ocean. Go to ledgerstatus.com to learn more. Uh, the Ocean is a fantastic place to trade ERC20 tokens wallet to wallet. They have built in liquidity partners provided. They just launched and the interface is really beautiful. I think that you will love it. Go to slash the ocean to try it today and trade um, any of the many tokens that they've launched with. Uh, and they also have stable coins on there as well if you're looking to uh, seek shelter. Th- thanks to The Ocean for being a LedgerCast partner. Now here's the show. Hello and welcome to LedgerCast. My name is Brian Krogsgaard and I'm here today with the CEO and founder of EverID, Bob Reed. Hey, Bob. Hey. How's it going?
1: Good. Thanks for having me.
0: So I have gotten to know uh, some of the folks that work with uh, Bob and we're at a conference together here in Washington, D.C. where y'all are sponsoring and presenting. And we've been talking a little bit about EverID and what you're building. And I thought it would be fun to share with the audience what y'all are working on. So um, why don't we start with the very basics of what is EverID?
1: Sure. So uh, the interesting thing is we're actually not really an identity uh, platform (laughs) uh, in and of itself. Uh, That is, uh, we have effectively a a plasma chain, so a layer two uh, payment uh, chain uh, that goes into a wallet. Uh, the wallet is, has embedded KYC. And okay. so inside of the wallet, we have biometrics, uh, government ID scanning, and then all third-party attestations. And third-party attestations can range from literally your power company or Facebook uh, or LinkedIn all the way to Village Chief uh, saying you are who you say you are. Now, the piece that makes it really interesting other than having sort of an end-to-end full economic Stack solution is we put that wallet and identity in the cloud in addition to being on device. Now, when you go from, if you're being locked onto a device into being on the cloud with identity and a wallet, uh, you open it up to the 5 billion people that don't have smartphones. Okay, so you're essentially providing uh, a mixture of things from payment and identity so that you know who you're paying. Yeah, a good example would be a, a bank, a government, a telco, a hospital, any major institution that actually wants to transfer value to individuals, right? You okay. need a transporter, maybe a transaction chain that goes into a wallet that gets into the identity. Now, when you get into, uh, if you will, emerging frontier markets where sending money or transferring value to poor people or hard to reach people um, – Having that biometric identity is actually critical. Like you can't, you can't do it without it. So
0: we're in the United States. It's pretty easy to get a driver's license with your identification, or get a passport, or something like sure. that, and to be able to say, "I am who I say I am," and here's where I prove it. Uh, you're targeting markets where that tor- sort of verification doesn't exist or the infrastructure is weak. Correct. Okay. Correct. So, and now you're bringing um, a
1: blockchain-based solution to that problem set. Exactly. I mean, I'll give you, you know, a very tangible, real example and one we're going to be rolling out uh, this year. Uh, you can imagine a large government that wants to send billions of dollars in uh, an energy subsidy or a health subsidy down to a user. Well, today that's done with duffel bags and shotguns that walks out and says, here's your money, here's some cash. They think that people kind of got it. Maybe they're not exactly sure. They're this right person got it, mm-hmm. cost them a lot of money. In the end, there's somewhere between 25 and 50% leakage mm. in that. Now, when you go using you know, our platform, of, there's the money being sent. It's cryptographically signed to the transaction. And then you get the verification of either face or fingerprints. You know with 100% certainty that it got to the right person. Right? So what's, saw- what's the access to those devices to get the biometric data? It's a great question. Um, Any smartphone uh, in the last four years can actually collect the biometrics uh, that are required. So a facial scan and fingerprints. Uh, Literally, you need a two megapixel camera with autofocus. And then, you know, uh, obviously some great software on the back end to make all that happen. So when I
0: use uh, like a a touch with my fingerprint on my phone, you don't need that. You
1: need the camera that can scan the fingerprint through Correct. an image. Correct. So right. that
0: lowers the barrier of uh, technology yeah. for scanning.
1: Yeah, and keep in mind, that's really just for the agents that would actually enroll people. Now, once people are enrolled, I see. they actually don't need a device at all. Right? They just show up with their, their...
0: So the agent with the phone is actually the person kind of like with the cash register. Yep. And the... Point of sale. The Yes, point of sale for your identity. Uh, whereas
1: the, the individuals... They're just registered through that device. Right. Now, if they have a device, even better. comes with their wallet. They can manage and move things. They can get access to microfinance. They can get access to remittances, which is another big use case. Do they ready. need access to the agent to be able to access the funds? So no. So it's a continuous access? Okay, no. So no, no. Just
0: others, other merchants or something that support Carver ID?
1: Yeah. So it's a, if you, if, as a user, you don't have a phone, you can go to any agent and get access to your funds, your wallet, your identity. If you have a phone, then great. You're off to the races and you can do anything you want. So I have no idea if y'all are approaching this type of market,
0: but it's a little harder for me to imagine like, oh, well, a bunch of merchants in a town in Africa are going to accept it. But it makes total sense if you say, well, every vending area at a refugee camp uses your solution. So is that the type of
1: Th- application that would be applicable or like that would work. Actually, the former works uh, just as well too. If you okay. there's plenty of uh, I call them top-up agents okay. uh, around the world. If you'll, the folks that sell data for the telcos uh, or mobile operators around the world that also happen to have a shingle out for a remittance that also happen to be the corner store. Uh, for them to actually accept, uh, if you'll scan users and give users. Uh, if you fiat currency in exchange for their vouchers, it, it's trivial for them to do. And then for people to use that, though, they in will, town, it's easy as well? Sure. They can walk into any agent, scan their face, and exchange their money, their credits, for actual fiat currency and just walk down the street. And if you'll use hard currency, or if you'll, the vendor could actually just use their cell phone as a point of sale. Okay. So
0: what's the. Uh, role of network effects of trying to get adoption how do you go
1: into a place and say this is something that you should do and trust so we're looking at uh, primarily through large institutions who can onboard you know millions or tens of millions of users at a time right okay. so we've signed up partnerships with large banks governments hospitals and nonprofits that literally will enroll millions of people and those are targeted regions so it's like yeah. whether it's potential patients of a hospital. Or. Right, and it's South Asia, Latin America, and Africa are the three major areas. Uh, we've signed up the institutions that have uh, agreed to onboard the millions of users. Now, like I said, once the users are onboarded, they're incentivized to actually participate because not only are they getting benefits, it's not like, oh, here's ID. It's here's money, here's healthcare. here's something of value to you. So is most of this
0: um, set up to where the, the user, the recipient... Uh, the person whose ID is in your system, they're really not uh, contributing necessarily to
1: the platform. They actually are. So, the second piece of this is so uh, once they're enrolled, or we have enough of a, I'd call it a killer app to incentivize them to enroll, which is usually like, here's money. Yeah. You'll right. You say, here's $5, and that's a right? ton of money for them, and they're. Exactly. And so, if you will, we've we've been lucky that our user acquisition uh, cost is zero because we're partnering with the institutions that are giving out the money. Okay. Now, what we do is we will charge the institutions a fee to move the money or verify ID, and we give the users 10% of everything that we make to incentivize them to actually participate in the network and actually share it with their friends and… Becomes, if you will, a reward program. So the idea is that beyond, say, your initial $5
0: of benefits or value they get, they can now be incentivized beyond that to continue to use it and for it to be a real uh, network within their ecosystem,
1: their community. Correct. Now, in addition to saying here's reward points, which are – and our reward points are pegged to the U.S. dollar.
0: Okay. Okay. Um, So it's not like 20,000 reward points and that might be worth a dollar.
1: It is saying here's U.S. dollars and you happen to live in Paraguay, Ghana, or Indonesia. Okay. Uh, Now, the other piece is we've got multiple applications, right? So, um, again, we do identity only because it's the base level. I call it an atomic layer of an economy. Now, we have multiple applications on top of that, like remittances. Hmm. All of a sudden now you can actually do remittances because – Look, if you want to actually send money across international borders, you must have KYC, AML, and customer due diligence embedded in the system. Okay. So, right. So we do all of that, plus we actually do the sending of the money. So if you wanted like an end to end remittance that's actually legally compliant, I think we're the first in the world to actually combine all of that. Mm. So again, once the users are onboarded, they actually have incentive to play on the network and actually receive benefits. Now they can start getting remittances. They can start getting microfinance. We've actually signed up again uh, one of the largest uh, microfinance uh, institutions in Asia to actually bankroll uh, some of our microfinances. Nice. So
0: if I'm uh, if I am in a small town in Ghana yep. and I'm going to work in another country and I'm sending, sending money home via remittance uh, to my family uh, can I enroll myself into EverID or uh, does it have to be like they know that this is an easy way to do remittance and send money home and all that kind of stuff? Like how do you get the word out that this is even a thing? It's a
1: very good question. So uh, the answer is yes. We might not start with self-enrollment, but the, it's architecturally totally there. Okay. Right. So uh, a real example would be you'll scan in your government ID. Right, Mm We scan in government IDs. You would scan in your biometrics. You would actually pull in all the third-party piece. So you're actually KYC'd at that point. Okay. Right? Um, And it comes, like I said, with a wallet and a way to actually send money um, or interact with a hospital, a bank, or whatever. Um, So once they're all enrolled, then the application will be, hey, let me go ahead and send money to my friend. And literally, we've built that in and actually – it's demonstrable today, okay. Right. So the the other piece that's I think unique about us in the blockchain space is we built it. Like mm-hmm. it's literally live today inside of one of the largest banks on planet Earth, um, and they've uh, purchased tokens already. Actually.
0: Okay. Wow. So I want to get to all of the token metrics stuff. Yeah. Um, at a at a baseline from the technology, you said the information goes to the cloud uh, from a decentralized mindset, you know, trying to approach things that way. Most identity solutions, I guess, that I've seen are more device-based. Um, so what's the potential downside of saying, well, we as a organization are uh, storing this information in the cloud? Is there a uh, security component? And then what are the advantages that made you choose to do something like that?
1: Sure. So uh, the use of the word cloud is probably just a misnomer. Data so center. I- yeah <laughs> data center so the key here is uh and we can delve a little deeper into uh identity management so i'd call it gen 1 of blockchain on identity is 95% of the time misusing the term self-sovereign they're saying okay well you're going to have permissions on the bank's database and permissions on the government's database and permissions on the hospital's database but you don't actually have the ability of turning those databases off you don't have the ability of saying i want not five fields exported from the bank. I want 35 fields. Mm. I want it exported once every five minutes, not once a month, right? And so it makes, if you will, rich people feel like they have a little bit more control and privacy. It's a step in the right direction, don't get me wrong, but it's not self-sovereignty in that case, right? Sovereignty means you actually own the data, you can turn the database off, you can actually manipulate the data as you see fit. And like I said, 95% of Gen 1 isn't accomplishing that. So what we do is we actually pull in all of the data from all of the different sources and create a database that only the user has access to. So in this scenario, EverID does not have actual access nor can it see or turn off this database. And the infrastructure that we've built, we're actually giving to a nonprofit. They can't see it either. And so, what we've done through a system of smart contracts and governance is create what I call a DAN, a Distributed Autonomous Network. That okay. is, this network of identity storage can never be shut off, um, and the only yeah the only uh, way to get access is literally if you are the person who has the private keys. You're the you're the user. What is the private key in a system like this? Uh, your
0: biometrics, your face and your fingers. Okay. So literally, your physical person is your private key. Correct.
1: So getting your private key stolen would be quite difficult. Yeah, I would say <laughs> if you take someone's both hands and their head and then know their pin and a couple of other challenge questions, you might be able to get there. Yeah. With, uh, with with facial
0: recognition and stuff, I mean, what is it, the iPhone 10 that just came out with like relatively smart stuff? And it's like if you're bearded or like there's yeah. these there's these failure mechanisms. So how, is, are there failure mechanisms and what do they look like in y'all's technology?
1: Yeah. Most modern good systems that governments use and banks use uh, are two sets of biometrics, which is why we went with two, Mm. right? Uh, So it's your
0: your fingerprint and your face, not your fingerprint or your face. Correct.
1: And so what we've seen is proving your identity is a gradient scale, right? As I put it, if if you wanted to be authenticated on a dating site, you need a Facebook account. Mm. If you want to borrow – a dollar, you probably need a Google account and you know uh, maybe something in your wallet. Mm-hmm. You want to borrow $1,000 or actually have a deposit? Okay, now you need both biometrics and a little bit deeper KYC. And so it kind of goes up in a gradient level. So we, we built the end all, which is for banks and governments, <laughs> e-commerce, and we can do everything else underneath too.
0: Was it a strategic decision to say that you wanted – uh, to onboard people's life infrastructure, like their healthcare, their uh, their basic needs in a in a second or third world country um, or a community, whatever, and then that broadcasts out from there to their regular day to day type of stuff. Because otherwise, aren't there solutions? You know, WeChat Cash or whatever, like other things where people can just pay each other or send money uh, across border or <laughs> store some sort of value or whatever.
1: Yeah, so uh, we took this from the point of view of how do we actually build an economy? How do we take, if you will, people that are living effectively in the 7th century economy and mm-hmm. bring them to the 21st digital economy? And if you want to start with that premise, it, it leads you to different conclusions, right? Which is, I get into you know, really what an economy requires, right? It requires hundreds of billions of transactions per month. Uh, each transaction has to happen in a couple of seconds. Uh, it has to cost a fraction of a penny. And if you're in emerging markets, uh, you have to have biometric security. Right? Like that's kind of how, mo- well, 21st century emerging market economies function. You, you can't change those parameters. And so we built to that, which is, again, I'd put just as much emphasis on the transaction and having that cryptographically signed and being very scalable as I do with the biometrics. The biometrics just happen to be a requirement the, to hit the strategic goal of taking 2.6 billion people who don't have bank accounts and start giving them bank accounts.
0: And then from an adoption perspective, it was more that you could you could pitch this to a bank or to a government and get more effective penetration into whatever that market is.
1: Yeah, that's
0: okay. fair call. So um, when you say it's layer two, and you're talking about scaling in the sense of what, in the crypto space is uh, very rare <laughs> with that uh, hundreds of thousands of transactions potentially per minute or yep. whatever. Uh, layer two on top of what and um, how is this designed?
1: Good question. Uh, layer two on top of uh, Ethereum mainnet.
0: Okay. So layer two scaling. So like what's out there right now, plasma and things like
1: that. Yeah. we say uh, ours looks a lot like a plasma chain. Okay. Um, there's a nuance they do in the plasma spec that, uh, our customer base probably won't do, which is staking a lot of money on mainnet. Uh, You won't see major banks putting a million dollars on mainnet and then reclaiming it once the plasma uh, execution has happened. We'll we'll come up with, well, we've got a different way of accomplishing the same goal, but it'll still ultimately be uh, the transaction will be posted on mainnet, which is a public blockchain that we actually really think the world of. Okay.
0: So is there a, decentralized nature in any of this? Or is it, what, sure. what's decentralization or your choices of where it's centralized? What do those look like?
1: Um, so if you will, we've got two chains. The identity chain uh, is utterly decentralized, right? And there is, I call it a proof of authority network where no one has the authority. And mm-hmm. really it's about key management for users. Just because it's, it's, it's like singular spokes. Yeah, we say it's, it's from a mo- system,
0: right? It's not interconnected per se.
1: Right. You're not it's not a transaction piece there. This is yeah. really about storage and, if you will, user ownership. And again, to my knowledge, this is the most user-owned, truly self-sovereign identity system in the world, just by doing it that way. It's a public utility for digital identity for the planet. And it is well you can't accomplish that without the blockchain. Um and if you want to go a little Geeky uh, on identity, like if you look at the principles of identity for sustainable development goals put out by World Bank and signed by Gates and Omidyar and UN, um, we actually put those principles into code with that one single chain, right? and that's they're aspirational, and we actually achieved it. Now the other chain we have is transactional, and if you will, we uh, we look essentially like a plasma chain where by posting onto mainnet. We can keep some of the centralization, uh, which is required to do the speed and cost, Mm -hmm. but still adhere to, I think, the ethos of really Ethereum and uh, blockchain generally. This needs to be transparent, not owned by us, and generally as distributed as as we can make it and still accomplish those goals.
0: So you don't have – if I have $5 through my wallet that uh, I got through your platform – do you have any control over that $5? Like, can you turn the spigot off? Or, I mean, you can feed it, obviously, because you can sure. always send money, but can you?
1: Um, similar to Plasma in a way of, uh, if we did, you'd see it, the contract wouldn't be valid, and therefore you wouldn't lose it. Okay. Right? Uh, by the way, that's kind of how Plasma works. If yeah. you, um, so uh, we do take, uh, if you will, by putting it... Like all layer two solutions, you take it off mainnet, you process, and then by putting it back on mainnet and doing it in a certain protocol known way, uh, putting it back on mainnet, you ensure that all the parties don't lose money; nothing's at risk. And right. so we, we've done something equivalent to that.
0: On the on the send back to mainnet, you're confirming that
1: Correct. what was claimed was done was done. Yes, exactly. It's solidity compliant, and you if it's not. Uh, copacetic, then if you will, the transaction can be nulled. And, you know, you won't lose your money. I'd like to take a moment to thank our
0: partners at The Ocean for being a Ledger Status partner. Go to ledgerstatus.com slash theocean to check them out. Uh, the Ocean is fast and secure, Ethereum and ERC-20 token trading. They offer really high-performance infrastructure with direct wallet-to-wallet trading, meaning they never take custody of uh, your funds. There is KYC AML on the platform. That allows them to bring on liquidity partners for trading each of their tokens that they have on the... On the ecosystem. To me, this is the perfect blend of decentralized exchange, but also where uh, everyone on the platform knows that the other people they're trading with have gone through this process of KYC AML. Uh, It just brings the best of both worlds and it allows them to build an ecosystem all on top of the 0x protocol uh, that just works really great. Super low fees on the ocean, especially if you picked up the ocean tokens from their airdrop. They do have new ways to earn tokens on the platform. So if you're still interested, you can still register, you can still earn tokens in a variety of of ways. They also have an API that's really in-depth if you're interested in algorithmic trading and taking advantage of being a market maker or other stuff that you may be interested in. You could do so much on the ocean. It's really beautiful. Uh, It's a really well-done exchange. I think you'll love it. Go to ledgerstatus.com slash the ocean. And thanks so much to the ocean for being a Ledger Status partner. So uh, you said the funds that are used by these individuals is pegged to the the dollar so in your network you have identity and you have what's essentially a stable coin of sorts um and where is the what's the
1: network value look like for your own tokens what is your token we haven't gotten to that yet that's a good question uh so our token is a utility token for access okay uh yeah what's that look like (laughs) sure so uh Let's see. First, we minted the token, and we've actually sold our first couple of tokens to uh, one of the largest banks in the world, right? And uh, by giving uh, institutions like banks, government agencies, NGOs, hospitals, universities, et cetera, uh, access to the network, uh, they can perform different functions, right? They can. Okay, so
0: it's an access token as in
1: the uh, ID token. What do you call them? Uh yeah, we we have an ID <laughs> token and then uh, if you will from the ID token depending on how much they stake and hold, they can perform different functions. They can verify an identity, but if you want to now send $1000 requires a bit more staking. If you want to send $100,000 even more. If you want complex smart contracts, perhaps more. Mm. If you want an API or an SDK, different, uh, you want, if you will, aggregated anonymous data w- on top of your own uh, information. Again, never, you never see the user data, but you get to see like what's happening on the network. All of these require different levels of staking. So the tokens that someone buys or has access to, uh,
0: what's going to enable those or to gain value? Is there an investment thesis for something like this?
1: Uh, sure. So uh, clearly the depleting supply uh should drive up the price uh hypothetically. I have to be a little careful if I can't. Yeah, I know this isn't in, in any <laughs> utility
0: token and in any investment from an investment thesis perspective, but there's always token economics to encourage usage of the network. Right. So if you some if you're charging and you sold tokens to a bank and the price was one dollar per token, yep. and the idea is that uh they're not gonna they're not going to end up buying something that then is only worth $0.50 cents per token. Right. And they didn't get $0.50 cents worth of value from usage of the network. So right. So in net, they lose money on,
1: on using your system. Correct. So what we've engineered is by tiering the different levels of access and different levels of information, capabilities, etc., um, we've incentivized institutions and the senders of remittances uh, those would be the two major categories, to actually buy more and more. That is, uh, no one wants just to send uh, money for a month or, if you will, just verify a couple of identities. Uh, people always want to, or institutions, uh, they want APIs, they want SDKs, they want aggregated data. Oh, I did a simple contract, now next next time I actually want to send a complicated you know, smart contracts.
0: And as they're utilized and as it becomes a greater part of their infrastructure, how they're getting it out to their customer base, network, uh, constituents within a, a government arm, mm-hmm. that en- enables them the utility of the token to increase and potentially there to be network value.
1: Yes. Absolutely. Uh, so is there a third token? Well, there's a second token, which is okay. once, there, once you have access... Um, They still have to pay for normal fees, right, which would be sending money, verifying an identity, um, if you will, storing documents, all sorts of different, if you will, fees that a a bank, a government, uh, any of these institutions uh, would normally pay for. But the access tokens, those aren't the same
0: as what an individual using the system is using to spend money in the corner store.
1: Correct. So let me explain. Once the institutions are in... They'll pay fees, and they'll pay fees in let's call it U.S. dollars. Okay. Now, what we do is we take ten percent and actually give that out in uh, effectively reward points uh, to the users that are participating in the network, and uh, back that we actually keep that in a reserve. So it's a one-to-one reserve in our account in case there's a hundred percent velocity on that currency to come back and and cash out those. Okay. Now, that said, there's from, and I'll give you a real example, uh, some institution wants us to move a billion dollars, and we might charge them, just to make the math easy, 5%. Okay, so here's $50 million in fees. We would turn around and give $5 million in credits, essentially our reward token, to all the users that participated in that. Right now... $5 $5 million in credits is basically a stable token uh, pegged to the US dollar that's now floating around in uh, lots of uh, our users in emerging
0: markets. So, does that turn you into almost like a central banking authority?
1: I would not n- phrase it that way. Not <laughs> phrase it that way. Yeah, no, I, I think we, we very much look like there's a reward token uh, that uh, I'll give you a very.
0: But you do make monetary decisions as. The entity running the network?
1: We make monetary decisions. Ooh, I just said, the ID token, we know it's, if you will, there's 800 million minted. We know exactly how many are out there. The credit, <laughs> excuse, excuse me, me. Um, that's really just a matter of revenue share. So, like, we don't actually, we can't mint anymore, push anymore out. It's literally like however many, how much fees. We charge institutions mm-hmm. excuse me I see yeah air conditioning here um, so uh, yeah uh, that literally just becomes a revenue share whatever we're making uh, we turn around and share with users and the users uh, can turn around and use those uh, that revenue share to buy uh, for example we'll probably be offering cell phone data okay We kind of? say like oh turn your tokens in just like your airline miles turn your airline miles in for. You know, five gig of data, for example. Could you picture a world
0: where this is the primary transactional method for people? Would it work under that circumstance or is it uh, it additive to the way someone transacts in their daily life?
1: uh, Architecturally, it can scale to being 25, 30 percent of the global economy. In reality, governments really like to control their currencies day in and day out. (laughs) Um, So I I think we'll, you know, uh, a very realistic scenario is we'll look like airline points, right? You get lots and lots of airline points and you can turn that in for Nikon cameras and iPods and flying to D.C.
0: Okay. So I – and that that kind of occurs on centralized systems now through mobile-to-mobile payment systems. So they're in Hong Kong or something, like people are paying each other – almost primarily in street cash is through mobile phone apps and stuff. You know, I pay you through Venmo. So you would be an option like that. Sure. Um, but you have all these reward systems and built into that. Um, so from a background, how did you even get into saying I'm going to go build this extremely complicated network?
1: It's a fair question. It really is. Um, so yeah, uh, all the way back to undergrad, I was political science comparative economic development like i i was supposed to go end up at world bank i m f go shape economies and uh i got uh distracted with twenty years in silicon valley okay um, so you were in tech i was in tech i was in i was born and raised in Cupertino, did my entire career there uh, between there and san francisco uh until about uh well just a few years ago um most recently, I was with uh, BitTorrent, uh, okay. the GM of licensing there. And my CTO was actually had a product there. Uh, and so we, we kind of got the peer-to-peer bug uh, back in 2011, roughly. Um, and I found myself literally floating around the world all the time into Manila, Jakarta, Bogota, Sao Paulo, occasionally Africa. And realizing that core formative part of my youth never really went away. And so I saw biometrics uh, get into mass market and at the same time I saw blockchain actually transform how values transferred and it made sense. That is, it's once in human history do you get to take a couple billion people from subsistence living and if you will elevate them to uh, if you will 21st digital economy. Uh, so that, that opportunity doesn't come along very often.
0: And now we're here. Y'all are doing uh, the preparation work. Uh, we were talking before. You're kind of the roadshow before the roadshow. Yeah. So you're really pretty early in the process from a fundraising perspective, but you've built a lot of stuff. So there's been money that's spent. Is this self-funded or is it VC-funded? or
1: how, are you, how did you get to where you are so far with the product? So uh, we self-funded some. Uh, if you will, we wanted to not be just a couple of guys with white paper and an idea. Mm -hmm. We literally had to prototype it and believe it ourselves. And before you go take... Oh, and
0: for being, if you're based out of the U.S., but being based out of the U.S., uh, that's helpful.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's... uh, Look, uh, if you're going to go take a million or $20 million from a set of investors, um, that's a... You... (laughs) You shoulder that burden. like That's a yeah. real commitment. You had to sleep with that every night. Uh, at least I do. Um, so before you make that ask, you better believe it. And so we did that initially. It was our own money and prototyped it. Uh, our lead institutional investment uh, and the seed round has been Mistletoe. Okay. And Mistletoe, uh, gosh, they're just fantastic investors. Uh, Where are they based? They're based out of Singapore. Um, a lot of the team comes from uh, Japan. It is Taizo san, uh, Masayoshi san's brother, that started it. So, SoftBank's uh, founder and Vision Fund's founder. Okay. Uh, Taizo san and a lot of his team built. Um,
0: SoftBank's been in tech for a while now, right? Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, it is one of the most valuable companies on the planet. And it does have, well, with the Vision Fund, the largest fund, I believe, in the planet. Yeah. Uh, I just
0: know when I see rounds, it's all, it seems almost always come from SoftBank in yeah. the tech world.
1: Yeah. So, if you will, a lot of the exec team. Uh, Left and started uh, Mistletoe. Okay. And uh, so they
0: gave you funding? Correct. So far, in addition to self funding? Correct. And 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 a set of
1: angels, too. Okay.
0: So that brought you to the point of you have a product and you're obviously have put in a great deal of uh, uh, thought and energy into the network and the Mm -hmm. economy and how all that works, which is probably one of the more underappreciated components, but complicated components. It really is. Because, I mean, my understanding, my my personal theory is that most crypto projects will collapse because the economics don't make any sense.
1: I think you're right. Um, it really is. I've had to explain, and you'll probably agree with me. It's the software, actually, the code is not as hard or take as long as the thought behind the architecture of mm-hmm. not only the architecture of the system, but the architecture of the economy.
0: And it does seem like we're seeing more of these uh, multi-token uh, strategies uh, yeah. come up as some of these ideas come to play so we're what we've seen a lot of is like one token that token is usage of the network and as if the token becomes more valuable it becomes less uh helpful <laughs> on yeah. the network so like having a multi-token approach or like really thinking more deeply about the the way the token works inside the network etc yeah. seems to be the evolution of where some of this stuff is going
1: yeah i was gonna say uh last year when we were developing this uh if you will, we tried very hard to make it a single token because it was the only thing that was being accepted in the market. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the reality of how you actually need to incentivize institutions and you know, and still have users and make an economy and the network work well, uh, there's no getting around it. We simply had to design a two-token solution. Mm. Uh, and uh, now y'all are
0: raising, or going to be raising money through uh, private what? sale. Private sale
1: uh saft or what's all it? um actually it'll be uh since we already have utility functionality okay uh proven and demonstrable like with tokens being sold already uh we will literally be doing uh selling tokens
0: oh okay so are, are there other
1: uh projects that have gone a route like this that you could compare it to well let's see uh first our seed round was done on a uh, saft okay um so uh but the vast majority of our uh, of our presale will be done simply selling uh, tokens or discounted tokens, and uh, almost all utility tokens uh, were supposed to be done this way. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people raised money and then went out and built the utility functionality later, which is why the SEC's saying no. Yeah, uh, we feel very clean and. So the token could go on an
0: exchange today if you, yes, if there was a reason for that, correct. Um, But will there be? uh, I'm sure. I'm assuming there will be eventually some sort of speculative market around this, or it could operate with a speculative market.
1: Um, The utility token will be on an exchange for sure. Yeah. Um, I really I can't comment on. But what
0: in terms of how people speculate and whatnot, that's up to them. But the token event. Has occurred?
1: Um, We've minted it. We have not distributed that yet. Okay. Right? And now uh, the plan on that is literally we have to get the smart contracts audited before we, if you'll, start distributing. Mm -hmm. And we need to go, if you'll, more through the pre-sale and get the exchanges lined up uh, so that when we actually do generate and distribute the tokens, that the exchanges and and the contracts, everything's done, set up properly. And what
0: percentage of the tokens will be accounted for? from all of that versus what's going
1: to be left for the network to redistribute down the road or do other things? So uh, the private sale will take an aggregate uh, between 40 and 41% of all the available tokens. Um, the vast majority uh, are all locked thereafter uh, for either advisors or team members or the reserve or literally ecosystem development to go if you'll continue to sell those to banks and, and the such. How do you envision uh, with
0: a project like this, this could end up looking like in terms of uh, not just necessarily your project, but like some of the t- cro- projects that succeed in the crypto landscape and they're using a blockchain layer and – what I don't care if it's layer two, whatever. Yeah. But they have the token metrics. They have the corporate metrics. What do you think some of these organizations will end up looking like? Will we have thousand-person companies that also have this uh, whole network layer for their tokens. And stuff. We're just not, we're so far yeah. off from that. It's like trying to say, I know yeah. it's, what's Amazon going to look like? They're just a bookseller. Yeah. But uh, have you thought about that type of stuff? Because it's something I, I think about and I yeah. don't have the answers.
1: Um, I have lots of very deep thinking friends who have convinced me of a few things, um, which are something to the effect of uh, I think human beings will start self organizing, not necessarily inside of corporations. Mm. Right, They will simply self-organize because they have a common set of values or beliefs or mission to go either do something together, be it make money, save water, whatever it is. But that ability of self-organizing and actually receiving remuneration and uh, the tokens uh, actually and smart contracts are actually integral to this piece, I think we'll see that evolution uh, quicker than we think. And it is not government-focused. It's not company-focused. It is literally what do I as an individual want to go do with my life and can I find like-minded people and actually find a way to create value and receive value out of that. And I, I think there's a lot of opportunity there. Do you think uh, down the road
0: we have some stuff that's operating various projects, not just yours? Yep. <laughs> like obviously, we'll see winners and we'll see projects that go away completely. Uh, do you think the interoperability will be super important for these to work? Or are you a believer in every, the token economy can exist and everyone that uses these will have to know all these different tokens that they have going on? Like, If yours is pegged yeah. to the dollar, mm-hmm. can someone just think of it like it's a dollar equivalent even though they know it's not technically a dollar? Right. And then the same with all the other ones. Or, or do you think everybody has to know, like I have... These tokens and these tokens and these tokens, and that's what makes up my life.
1: Yeah. Um, see, I I, think I heard two questions. At least two I want to answer. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and there, uh, one is the tokens and the interoperability of tokens. And uh, I think that they're the idea of on-device exchanges or simply decentralized exchanges, and you're going to be swapping out, you know, five different currencies a, a week to manage, you know, different things you want to do. I think that's a very real reality, and I don't necessarily see. A big issue in solving that, right? Be it centralized exchanges or decentralized exchanges or on-device exchanges. Like I think that's going to happen and is happening, right? The interoperability between different systems, like or protocols. Mm-hmm. I think that is a big opportunity uh, in the long term, right? There are too many ecosystems that are coming up that don't interoperate with each other, and so that API between the different major chains. Mm, it's got to happen eventually.
0: Yeah, because if this stuff, if it ends up uh, being a big part of the way we transact, um, the way we interact yeah. with uh, records or whatever else, you know, we have all these underlying economies within our devices, with you know yeah. within this blockchain ecosystem. And most people, they shouldn't have to understand how all that operates. The same way we don't understand how like web protocols. Work. We just know that we can browse the internet and log into websites and do things. Um, So you think we'll start to see that emerge over time in crypto?
1: Uh, I do. I mean, look, right now uh, there is a de facto winner in that in terms of Ethereum, right? I mean, Ethereum still is the dominant and honestly, uh, we're big fans. So uh, we think that underlying protocol actually provides the interoperability you need between you know your school records and your health and your wallets and your currencies and all of that you know as long as it has that base layer um then uh i think we're in okay shape now there there will be other uh chains protocols that we know about that are coming up with that are really well funded and do things slightly differently you'll have to you know deal with that interoperability at some point yeah That'll certainly make an interesting time.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, so what's the next big thing for you all then? And we'll finish with that.
1: Next big thing is we are uh, on a technical level, uh, If y'all doing API integrations and onboarding, um, like I said, one of the biggest microfinance corporations in Asia to uh, bankroll us and uh, into going and actually doing loans uh, to a lot of these people. Awesome. Well we look forward to seeing that and thanks for joining me, Bob. Thank you. Have a good one. Monuments crumble in the blink of an eye. The easy river has just run dry in a house of cards. I
0: feel the breeze. Wow. I can barely breathe. Oh.